Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. This is the Best 11 Podcast with Johnny Owen and Mark Webster. Hello, I'm Johnny Owen, and this is a special edition of the Best 11 Podcast from TalkSport. Today, we're joined by a man who often ends up in other people's Best 11s. He's played over 400 games for Nottingham Forest, 78 times for England, and captained his country on 10 occasions. He's always wore his heart on his sleeve, and he's as passionate about music as he is about football. It is, of course, the punk footballer himself, Stuart Pearce. Welcome, Stuart. This is your Best 11, and can you start by telling us your earliest football memories? Well, certainly as, as a young kid over the park with the old man and my brother, that type of thing. But as for actually watching football and my inspiration for wanting to be a footballer come from Gordon Banks' save in 1970. Really? That was the, yeah. that was the earliest memory I ever have of, of watching football. I, I was eight years old at the time, I think. 1970 would have made me eight. Um, and that save from Pelé, I'm still yet to see a better save in world football Agreed. than that save. It was incredible. And I wanted to be a goalkeeper. My first medal I ever won was as a goalkeeper and uh, as, a, as a kid. And listen, Gordon Banks was one of my heroes. That's great. I mean, it's amazing how much we've done quite a lot of these with people, how much the 1970 World Cup in Mexico comes up in people's memories it, and earliest the, memories. The vivid colour of yeah. it. And then you have moments like that. And the bit that I think I, I enjoy as much about that moment, Stu, as, as anything else, is just the way that Gordon Banks gets up and just yeah. kind of rubs his gloves together. <laughs> and That's Pele it. comes yeah. over and gives him the touch on the shoulder of all touches on any shoulder, doesn't he? He certainly does. And I'll tell you what, if you're going to make the best save that there's ever been in world football, make sure it's from Pele. Yeah, yeah, by the way. You know, it, it could have been Reg Nobody, you know what I mean? Who's headed. No one would have remembered it, but because it was Pele, you think the header's that much better. And it so was right. an incredible header as I well. I was, and he did everything right, you told to do. Yeah, yeah. He headed yeah. it down at pace, away from the goalie, and how he got there. It's astonishing, yeah. really. And then right next. Yeah. <laughs> it was a beautiful thing. Can I, if we talk about early memories as well, I just want to touch on on those Wilston years then, because you know you're a West London boy. How did how did you end up getting your football at Wilston to start with? Um, the school team I played for was a very good. Well, first off, I'll, let me. Let, when I was a 13 year old kid, my grandfather wrote to QPR, which was my local team. Yeah. I live right near near Rangers Ground, and got me a trial. So I went there. Um, Passed the trial, and as a 13-year-old, we trained every Friday night in in a gym in Ryslip. Uh, when the season ended, I had six months of training. I went back the first day of next season on the Friday night and walked in, and someone looked at me and went, oh, sorry, haven't we told you? I said, told, told me what? Um, y- y- we don't need you anymore. Oh, so oh. that was that was the start and end of my professional oh, career as a 13-year-old. Walk of shame, Stu, out of the, out I know. Of the ground. <laughs> Turn round and do one, the fella said, you know what I mean? So, so off I went. I'm out the door at that stage. Bear in mind, QBR, the team I support, yeah. was watching and travelling to see and, and one thing and another. So that was the end of the contact I had with the professional club. So I played school football. We had a really good school team, to be fair. Champions of London a couple of times and that sort of thing. And then at the age of 16, when I left school, I had nowhere to go and play, literally nowhere to play football, you know. So Sunday football finished almost when I was 16. School football, county football, all of that finished. And the caretaker at the school that took a real interest, he took five of us to our local non-league club, which was Wildstone. And and from there, it was youth team, reserve team. And at the end of the season, I got into the first team on default, really, because... We had, you know, it's like in those days, you had a backlog of fixtures because of the weather. So you played Saturday, Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday. And the boys who were getting paid 
at, at work and had a proper job, you know, they couldn't take time off work to fulfil all these fixtures. So people like myself got a game. I went in the team and never come out again. And that, that, that's great, and, and, and we should just uh, worth mentioning now because they got promoted. They're national league side now, so that's that's tremendous work, isn't it? It is brilliant. I mean, listen, there's a lot of talk at the moment around football about sort of the rich getting richer and the poor getting. I'll always champion non-league grassroots because if it wasn't for Wildstone, uh, my journey doesn't start in the game. You know, so I'm, I was really fortunate that the club was there. And bear in mind. I didn't just pop in and pop out. I had 250 games for exactly. it before yeah. I left. Yeah. So I was there five and a half seasons, you know. So it was fantastic for me, that football It's club. funny thing, I grew up supporting Merthyr Tidville, sure. called Merthyr mm. Town, and I actually went to Wheelstone for an away game. Really? Yeah. This, this, is, this is about 1988. This is so the old, the, the old ground then, which was a great little place, yes. wasn't it? Yeah. Now a Tesco's, I believe. Is that right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They, they bought us out. We had a cinema at one end, you know, the Elmsley Cop at the other. That's it, yeah. I mean, I, I'm, I'm, I'm totally spice. with you on this, Stuart. I mean, I, I grew up watching non-league football. It's yeah. so important, you know what I mean, to the game, I think, in this yeah. country. Right, we're going to do something quite different here because you're a massive music fan, famously, um, known for your love, especially of punk and that sort of era. Um, so we're going we're gonna to ask you some different questions. We're going to ask you a sort of slight deviation to what we usually ask. Yeah. But we're going to ask you about the first gig you went to. Um, the first one... I honestly couldn't turn around and, and tell you. I was going to gigs probably when I was 14, 15 yeah. years old. And when you went to gigs in those days, um, it, it wasn't as sanitised as it is now. Bear in mind, I'm on the London Underground to go across London. You're avoiding football fans who wanted to knock your head off. You're avoiding <laughs> teddy boys and skinheads that yeah. want to do the it's same as well. You know, So going to a gig in those days was slightly different. It now, it, if I go back and I said to myself, first one, I'm not sure. Um, I was fortunate enough, I was at the Marquee Club one night in London, which was a great venue, really was Superb. good. Mm. And I was watching the Lurkers. Yes. And uh, I watched them, and I was in the crowd, and I didn't think anything of it. And their second album come out, God's Lonely Men. And a friend of mine rung me and said, have you seen the inside sleeve of God's Lonely Men? I said, no. He said, we're on it. No. <laughs> so, so it's my claim to fame. People say to me, what's your claim to fame? And I think it's going to be something footballing-wise. It is the fact that I'm on the inside sleeve of a Lurkers album uh, photographed in the marquee. It's a crowd scene. We're you know? digging so, that. Because there's a million people saw the Sex Pistols' first gig at the Underclub. <laughs> it's big there? time. None yeah. of who can back that up. <laughs> no. You no. can back up the Lurkers, though, can't you? <laughs> exactly that. I've got photographic evidence, yeah. which, is, which is a right result for me, to be fair. So if someone said to me what was the best gig, that was memorable because as a young kid to be photographed on, on an album cover of a punk band that you're into at the time oh, and all that type that, of thing it? was brilliant. As gigs go, um, probably the best gig I've ever seen was uh, I saw The Damned at the Rainbow. Um, and we've got there, you get there, when I was a kid, I used to get there about seven o'clock for a gig, you know, so we're there at seven. The band ain't come on. It gets to about nine o'clock, no sign of the damned. So at this stage, the crowd start to rip the seats up at the rainbow and throw them <laughs> on stage. We get to 20 to 12 at night. No. And they still have it, I'm telling you. And bear in mind, I'm looking at, at my watch to get home on the train because yeah. it was no taxis in those days when you are a kid. You're on the underground and getting a bus or walking. So I'm looking at my clock thinking, when's the last train and all this sort of thing. At 20 to 12, the band have come on and announced, uh, Sensible's announced that Vanyan has not turned up. Oh. So the crowd, from the band throwing the chairs back at the crowd when they've come on stage, the crowd have then thrown the chairs back at the band oh. for announcing Vanyan's not turned up. With that, Vanyan comes from the side of the stage wearing... Is it Nostaratu? Yeah, uh, Nostaratu. Yeah, 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 of course. That's right. The old vampire in. outfit. Yeah. yeah, he comes roaring on from the side of the stage and then they kick into something, smash it up or whatever. Oh, what and it was just so memorable. I think I must have caught probably about six songs before I've had to go home to get the train home. Oh. Otherwise, Finsbury Park's the end of the world for me when yeah. you live near Wembley, you know. So, yeah. But it was memorable in its own way. And probably when... I'll, I'll throw another one in for you. Went to see Oasis at Main Road, which was sensational. It was luck happens, Nottingham Forest were playing at Man United that day. We got dipped 5-0 by them. We got the groundsman to pick us up from Old Trafford. We bust across to Main Road, got out. I said to 
one of the staff members there. I said, is there anywhere that we can have a drink? We've just played a game. We've got tickets for the gig, blah, blah, blah. And I bumped into a couple of people that have, have stayed friends with me. When I went back to Man City as a player and a manager, I kept in touch. They're still working there. They got us in. So we'd done the gig, which was sensational, and then went to the Hacienda. We got back to Nottingham about six in the morning. That was memorable. Wow. Is that, that's everything. That's everything in one glorious day. I, I, I like we ticked a few boxes did, that didn't night. Say. Although I do like to think you'd love to see in the Gallagher Brothers' direction, just for old times' sake. But, but perhaps not. Perhaps not. <laughs> Do you know, it's funny you just mentioned The Damned, yeah, but Machine Gun Etiquette was yes. the sound. My brother played that album. Oh, really? Oh, that, that, so my, my, I'm, I'm eight years of age again when I hear that album because it's a great album as well. But yeah, The Damned, what a band they were. I did the oh, same. I do the same thing as you. I've got three gigs that, the, that, that were mixed up as my first gigs. And it's, it's either uh, Shawaddy Waddy, yeah. uh, Slick, which was mid years first yep. band, or yep. The Times, which is an American soul band. And yep. depending on who I'm talking to, it's probably the times most of the time. <laughs> Never Shawadi Wadi, but possibly mid yours first band. Yeah, so yeah, I, yeah. I liked a variation on the theme. Got on a that. choice, yeah, yeah, yeah. Could you tell us about the first record? Do you remember what, what I mean, I'm, first record or the first records you bought? Do you remember sort of going out to a shop and, and getting into something, Stu? Yeah, we. Um, I mean, I was fortunate enough, as a lot of us are. I had an elder brother who was ten years older than me that was into sort of in the seventies. He was into the Who. Alex Harvey Band, um, Steve Harley, that type of thing. So I sort of had an influence off of him. But the first one that really grabbed me, and if you were born and and you got involved in music in the 70s, a lot of people, especially pre-runners to people who like the punk scene, David Bowie, I mean, he was just a legendary icon to me. And I just, I think maybe Hunky Dory might have been the first album I bought of him. And I just went out and I hoovered up all of his back catalogue. Yeah. Uh, and it will be Bowie, my first influence in music. And when you see him now and see documentaries, he's just a legendary fellow, you know? Yeah, you've done, you've done good going in on Hunky Dory because a lot of people arrived at Aladdin Sane and worked backwards. So yeah. you, that's, that's, Stu, you're, a, you're well ahead of the curve there you were with Hunky Dory. <laughs> well done. Yeah, it's a good start. We're going to end up back to football a little bit. We just want to chat to you about um, what your match day rituals were as a player. I've, I've got a few stories here. That you were legendary at Forest, people tell me, because they didn't see you before a game. Uh, which was great, and then you'd run out. I, I miss the players running out. I think running oh, out is so gotcha. such an important thing. And yeah. the trend end would be fever pitch by the time you, you know, hit the ground. Was that was? Did you did you do that? Were you aware of what you'd created there, Stuart? Um, on my journey in football, I picked up certain things and experiences that that work for me. Um, when I first joined Coventry as a, a 21, 22 year old player, um, Kenny Hibbett was was one of the senior pros in the dressing yep. room. And we went out for a warm-up, and Kenny didn't. And I said to Ken, I said, Ken, I said, why don't you go out for a warm-up? He said, he looked at his watch and went, I get paid for an hour and a half. I ain't doing any more. <laughs> That's, that was his answer. <laughs> Honestly, that was his answer was to he me. Was he started his stopwatch or something? <laughs> exactly. Like an old he, union man, of, he had a time and motions man alongside him, I think, yeah? And honestly, he said that to me, and I thought, I tell you what, he's got something there. You know, I thought if it's good enough for Kenny Hibbert, it's got to be good enough for me. So I got a routine, and my routine, it was so regimented, it was frightening. So I wouldn't, if I was at home the morning of a game, I'd never answer the phone in case it was a something that might play on my mind the next yeah. day. Yeah. In case, you know, so I'd never answer a home line, no mobiles in those days. I'd never answer the home line. I'd eat, always eat my pre-match meal at quarter to ten in the morning. Um, I picked that up from my from my mother-in-law who said, look, you'd never feed a racehorse three hours. She was into the racing game and that sort of thing. You'd never feed a racehorse three and a half hours or three hours before a game. And I thought, well, there's something in that. Okay, so I'll eat my pre-match earlier. And when I got to the game, I had a stopwatch next to my place and everything was on the clock. So I never went out before the game. I had a mentality that was... You never see a boxer go in the ring and warm up beforehand That's and right. then come back also out. When true. he goes yeah. in the ring, you go through and it's it's almost gladiatorial with yeah. yourself, it was, you know. Yeah. So I had a set routine that said quarter past three o'clock kickoff, quarter past two, I'd start to get undressed. Then I would be running up and down the corridor. Right. It's normally training boots, <laughs> socks and pants. So the, the teams were walking <laughs> past me and I'm... You know, I'm preening my thighs, waiting for the right winger, you know what I mean? So going up and down, and then I would 
it'd be kicking the ball against the wall in the shower, then a stretching routine with the physio. It was very, very regimented. And people think because I didn't go out and run around, I used to look at my teammates, come back in, say it could be boiling hot out there, freezing cold, they could come back in soaking wet. They'd been out on their feet for, what, 35, 40 minutes warming up. And I thought none of them were as ready as I was when I went out the tunnel. And I was convinced of that. And I never had... A muscular injury till I was 33, I don't think. Did you have to clear that with various managers? I mean, did did you say to him, by the the way, Gaffer, guess what doesn't happen? The only (laughs) one I had a problem with was Graham Taylor, actually, because Graham said to me, Cluffy said, do what you want. You know, he was pretty good like that. You know, put a ball in the middle of the dressing room and said, that's what we play with, go and get it. That that was the sum total of a team talk, (laughs) Cluffy. Um, uh, And Graham Taylor was the only one. I was the England captain at the time, and he said to me, look, I'd like you to go and warm up with the players. I said, Graham, I don't do that. I've never done it at club level, you know. And he said, I'll tell you what I'll do as a compromise. When we go out to warm up, run out on the pitch, run up the other end, come back again, and, and then you can come back in. I said, well, look, I don't want to rock the boat. If you think, you know, it's it's better if I'm seen leading the team out, by all means, I'll do it. So I literally used to do that, put put a bit of kit on, run out, run back in again, and then carry on my warm-up as was. Brilliant. I mean, um, Paul McGregor, Macca, who I know really well, tells yeah. a fantastic story <laughs> where they played against Manchester United, and he says, the great United team, and Cantona's the front with his collar up. You know, they're all there, Beckham. And he said, Stuart explodes out of the dressing room, <laughs> smashes the ball against the wall. Come on, lads. And you could see Canton and all of them looking. I remember Marcus saying to me, I knew we were going to get a result that day. Yeah. So I just knew because of the way Stuart took us out of the dressing room and the way they were looking at us. And it's, it is amazing, as you said, how psychological sport is, Stuart, isn't it? Uh, it's everything, I think. You know, um, if you get yourself in the right place mentally... I, I think you can achieve most things, you know. You can see, we, we throw the word confidence away, and confidence is not just in sport, it's in society, it's everywhere, isn't it? And, and what is what is confidence? For me, you've got to build up your own... Before you take the pitch, I always had a, a proviso of three things I I convinced myself that I was better than the person I was playing against. So I'd, I'd ate, slept and trained better than they had, and that gave me an inner confidence about how the game was going to go. And also... The lat- in my latter years as well, I always felt as though I never had two bad games in a row. So if I had a bad game last week, it wouldn't play on my mind because I thought, no, the stats are on my side now. I never have two bad games in a row. So and let me go back to, to uh, McGregor. <laughs> <laughs> he, he, he oh, was a big music man himself. <laughs> yeah, he was in yeah, the band yeah. and everything, yeah. money when you knew him, yeah. I guess. He, he was, yeah, he was in Merck. He yeah. was uh, at the main road gig. The Oasis main oh, was he? Oh, right. <laughs> of course he was. And we made him travel back. We had a minibus, and at the top of the minibus is where you put the bags, you know. We made him travel back from, from the Hacienda up in the luggage department, <laughs> right, from Manchester. I don't know why. For any good, I was going to say, any good reason, uh, but no, no. No, all you could see was his head coming out the <laughs> luggage rack and looking down and say, after about an hour, he, he looked down and went, uh, Skipper, can I come down now? <laughs> And I said, no, not yet. We'll tell you when. <laughs> Sounds fair. Character building. Yes, Character exactly. building. He brilliant. loved his music, Macca, which was brilliant. I tell you, Scott Gemmell as well was a similar right. era. One, once again, he, I remember him. He come in one day and he used to see a lot of obscure bands. He went to see a band in, in, uh, in Derby and said, oh, I saw a band last night, really good. Had a right, right character about them. I said, what were they called? He said, they were called Oasis. And this was before people had seen them and wow. people had heard of them. Yeah. And he was out there, and I remember him coming in and saying that he'd seen them. Said how good they were. Officially endorsed by Archie Gebel's son. That's, That's right. really all. <laughs> it's all Noel needs to know, isn't it? Exactly. Have, you got, have you still have you got a piece of uh, football memorabilia or a memento or something that's really dear to you? Um, for me, it would probably be my England caps. I got to say. When I sort of when you say it, the first thing that springs to mind will be an England cap because it means so much to me to represent my country. On top of that, I've got an MBE for services to football, which I'm immensely proud of. Oh, right. um, and probably if I'm going to throw something else in my Olympic tracksuit, we we I was fortunate enough to be involved in the Olympics. And that was something that was so much bigger than football. You know, it was under this massive worldwide umbrella. And to be part of and showcase football, certainly under the umbrella of the 
Great Britain, which wasn't just England, you know, was, yeah. was very special. 2012 it, was 2012, that. Yeah, yeah, 2012. And on that note, though, to, to not only do that, but to do it in sort of like the homegrown Olympics must have felt yeah. special. Yeah, London Boys. It was. We had, um, I mean, we played a, a couple of games at Cardiff. We played at Wembley, at, at Old Trafford. And it wasn't just football fans. The, the nice thing yeah. about it, you had families coming to the game that were saying, oh, I've, I bought tickets because it was the Olympics, not because it's football and I support football. So we touched a whole new audience, if you like. Right. Which was, which was, and the feel-good factor... Uh, on these shores was quite incredible at the time. It was a great, it was a great time to be in London. Stuart, who's your favourite band? Stranglers. Stranglers. Oh, no, well played. Oh, I thought you would have gone for Sex Pistols. Have you gone Stranglers? No, no, I've seen the Stranglers circa three hundred times now. <laughs> become friends, friends over the years, and people are sort of amazed at that. And I, I have to check them and say, look. If you saw them the first time in 1977, you're going back 45 years. If you see them once a year, they've never split up. Yeah. If you've seen them once a year, you've seen them 45 times. True. That's right. And yeah, that's so if they're on tour any time, I'll, I'll try and see gigs. I think nothing of jumping in my car and going on my own to a gig a couple of hours away of an evening. It's not a problem. So, and they become mates sort of over the years as such, you know. So, you, Stranglers. You I, I was going to say to you, I mean, really famously for, for our listeners, you introduced the, the Sex Pistols when they reformed in 96, wasn't it? Um, the fil- Filthy Lucre Tour. Was it at Finsbury yes. Park? Yeah, probably the best weekend of my life. We'd played, ah. it was during Euro 96, and we'd played Spain on the Saturday and I scored the penalty against Spain. The famous penalty, um, yeah. Terry Venables turned around and said, right, you've got Sunday off, do what you want. So Gazza was going fishing, a couple of the boys went home and whatever. So I, I used to get the enemy at the time, you know, so I had a look and thought, pistols are playing at Finsbury, you know. <laughs> so I said to Terry, I thought, I won't tell him it's a sex pistols. I just say I'm going to see a band, you know, just in case he thought, bloody hell, sex pistols. <laughs> I can't, can't, can't have my left back there. So... I said, is it all right if I go to a concert? And he said, yeah, no problem. He said, the only thing is, could you take a, a couple of staff members with you just to make sure you I said, yeah, no problem. So a couple of staff members <laughs> fancied their music, so they come. And Gareth was a good mate. I said, what are you doing, Gate? He, he said, uh, nothing, I'm just staying down, you know. I said, do you fancy a gig? I'm going to a gig tomorrow. He said, yeah, all right, who is it? It's Sex Pistols. I think it's the first gig he's ever seen. No. So... We've turned up, managed to get some backstages, went to see the band uh, before, and they said, uh, do you boys mind uh, introducing us, you know? <laughs> so, like, we were saying, look, we really want to keep our head down a little bit here, you know? We're in the middle of a tournament, but, you know, they've agreed to it. They've thrown a T-shirt at the gate as well, so he's got a Pistols T-shirt on. <laughs> so we're on stage. The most unlikely him. image this is, I've got to say. <laughs> I remember it. Yeah. <laughs> And like I had about five mates that had been to the gig as well that day, and they're in the bar and missed the introduction at the start. So one of my mates come home, and uh, his missus said to him, he said, uh, where were you today? And uh, he said, uh, I've been at the Pistols at Finsbury, you know. She went, did you see Stuart? And he looked, he looked at her and he said, no, I didn't see him. How the hell have you not seen him? He introduced the band. She, she thought he was cheating on him. You know what I mean? So, but fantastic. What what a day and what a weekend. For me, especially, you know, with the euphoria of Euro 96 yeah. and then the pistols at Finsbury where Iggy Pop played and yeah. uh, I think Stiff Little Fingers were on the card as well. Fantastic weekend. Uh, it was a great, was a, say, it was 20, a great moment that summer. Really, 2012 and Euro 96. I mean, in terms of two moments that happened over here, they were it, it was great stuff, wasn't yeah, it? it? Was to be at the beating heart of both of those things. Superb. Brilliant. Can, can you tell us about your favourite moment on the pitch, Stuart? Uh, I would probably say because of what it meant to me, captain in England. Yeah, you know that yeah. would that would probably be leading England out. I think the first time I captained England at Wembley was against France, and walking out at the head of the team. I mean, bear in mind I was electrician in in the borough of Brent, where Wembley is for for five and a half years, and the connection and everything that went with it. So it made it a little bit special. If you ask me game-wise, probably the England-Holland game in Euro 96 mm-hmm. was was so special. I mean, it almost, before the tournament, people forget, you know what it's like if you're a certain age, you think 20, 30 years ago, the dressing room was united and everything was tickety-boo, but it wasn't like that. Before the Euro 96, this country and 
the, the sport minister and whatever, they weren't overly keen on having a major tournament it's in true. this country because of crowd trouble, because of this. They were questioning whether we could put a major tournament on. And the, the success of it was quite incredible. The euphoria in the stadium is something I've never, ever seen before. It was incredible. And that game probably was so special to be involved in. It's, inter- it's interesting when you talk about representing England and, and being the captain. I always remember reading something you said, uh, I, I think around that time and a bit later, it was when they brought in the thing where you shook hands with your opponent. Mm, and you were yeah. going, I don't want to do that. And, and I so understood no. what you were saying. You were going, I'm going to go into battle with this against this person for the next hour and a half. What's the, it's, it's almost a daft thing to expect me because of the state of mind. I mean, and you've explained it brilliantly, the way you eat and the way you mentally prepared yourself, to expect me to do that before a game. Yeah, I mean, it was drummed into me as a, as a young kid. Whenever I went down injured, my old man was on the side of the pitch, very quietly spoken, never really said a great deal. But he always said to me beforehand, and my, my eldest brother used to be a boxer, an amateur boxer, and the proviso that he said to both of us, really, was never show the opposition you're hurt. Mm-hmm. So even if you're hurt, you get up. Yeah. As though, look, you've given me your best shot and I'm still standing. And shaking hands with someone that you're about to go into battle with didn't sit particularly well with me, you know. <laughs> Listen, I'm quite a decent geezer before the game. I'm a smashing bloke after the game. About 90 for, minutes in between. For 90 minutes, if you ain't my guts and you're playing against me, I've done something right, yeah, you know. Yeah. So that sort of was the men- mentality I sort of went oh, into. Well, I do like the idea now, Stuart, when you're captain England, you've got to give the, the other captain a nice little flag as well. So <laughs> that must have really hurt. <laughs> well... I often took a bunch of flowers with me and, and presented him with some poses, you know what I mean? Just to make him feel warm and cuddly before a game, you know? This is the Best 11 podcast from Talk Sport. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. I'm Sandra. And I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. You're listening to the Best 11 podcast from Talk Sport. Right now, this is the proper test. We've kind of saved this the back end. Yeah. It's, it's your best odds time, but before we ask for your 11 players, your top three all-time songs, please. I know this is tough. I know this is tough. This is murder. This, I'm fortunate enough over the years I've been asked this many times and, and it's stayed the same right the way through. Consistency, oh, good. good. There's a lot of consistency. It's all bang out of the same era. Um, <laughs> you wouldn't have expected anything else, no. Stuart. Exactly. <laughs> uh, at number three, it's No More Heroes, The Stranglers. Oh, yeah, great song. Uh, number two, it's White Riot, The Clash. Oh. And number one, which encompasses the whole genre and says... Tells you everything in the song title alone, Anarchy in the UK. Oh. <laughs> and can I just touch on the strangers there? Because, of course, you know, they lost their legendary Hammond yes. organ player recently. And yep. and the, the beauty of that band, the weirdness of that band was that, that's exactly it. They had a Hammond organ player and a jazz drummer. And yet yeah. you end up with whatever the stranglers were doing, which was almost perfect for a few years, wasn't it? They, well, to be fair, they, and live now, you go and watch them live. I mean, I'm ridiculously biased I, I never hear a bad concert you know what I mean <laughs> let's let's make that the starting point but 
you go and see them. You go and see them. They've got, certainly in the day, they've got that air of menace about them as a band. You yeah, know what yeah. I mean? You've got JJ that, that's got a reputation, black belt karate. I've yeah. seen him kung fu kick bouncers on the stage <laughs> because they were trying to get a fan off, you know? Everything about the band is just, I don't know, it's just perfect, you know. They're almost a lad's band, if you like, at the time. And musically, their music has stood the test of time. It was probably far better than anything that come out at the time. They were punk with that extra bit of music. I mean, it's Dave true. Greenfield, you know, on, on keyboards, is just sensational. Yeah, you yeah. know what I mean? And, yeah. Oh, just fantastic. And, and JJ on bass, what a band. Did you ever get Hugh Cornwell up the football though? I mean, did, you, did was it reciprocated? Were there any football men in there? Um, I never, I have never ever met uh, Hugh Cornwall, uh, but JJ's been up to Nottingham Forest ah. with, with his son Jeremy, and I, I'm good friends with Baz Warne now, who, who sort of fronts it a little bit and plays guitar in the band, and he's been in, well, 20 years now. I mean, 20 years, and he's still the new boy. That's how sad we are. You know what I mean? He's still on a YTS, yeah. you know, as far as I, in my eyes. He's, but he's, he's playing for a contract, isn't he? <laughs> exactly that. But he's a good friend of mine. You know, if I go up, we sit and have tea and scones or a bit of breakfast together if I'm up in the Leeds area now. And he's been to, he's a big Sunderland fan. So he's, he's when I was Man City manager, he, he come and oh, come brilliant. to the game when we were at Sunderland. But, Good lads, great lads. Fantastic. Well, this is the this is the, the last question, Stuart. Um, you've been absolutely terrific, and this is the one that uh, gets people going, uh, gets the, the juices flowing. It's, and you've, it's, it's particularly special for you because these will be players you shared the pitch with. But can you take us through your best? Or it doesn't have to be people you've shared the pitch with. It can be any footballer, I suppose. But your best all-time football eleven. Yeah, I've done it with people I've shared the pitch Okay, with. cool. That's great. Because yep. they've had a real influence on me, and, and I've seen it firsthand their ability and their qualities. Yes. Um, Shilton would be the goalkeeper. I've played with some outstanding goalkeepers, but Shilton and his mentality to want to keep a clean sheet. You could be winning 5 nil, when the, the Tasmanian devil behind you would be barking orders for 90 <laughs> minutes to keep to sustain a clean sheet and his work ethic, you know. And what he'd done, obviously, I, I wasn't there at Forest, but... For Forrest to win two European Cups back-to-back, yeah. you had to have the best goalkeeper in the world, and this fellow was. And to be an international for 19 seasons, 125 caps, says it all, really. Yeah. So. I was with Johnny once when uh, it, Ken, Ken Burns, uh, Kenny Burns and Larry Lloyd were swapping notes about the olden yeah. days, and, and they both said he would not shut up, Shilton, no. telling <laughs> no. them how to be centre-halves. Yeah, yeah. He's a... He certainly, he weren't shy in coming forward and telling the rest of you how bad you were and how well class he was. Don't worry about that. But I tell you what, he had the CV to back it yeah, up. Yeah. Sensational. Good point. Good point. Absolutely sensational. Yeah. Um, this is in no particular sort of, I've tried to, to hash a team up in regard to positional players. Two central defenders, Terry Butcher and Des Walker. Des Walker is the most consistent player I've ever played with. I can remember on, on one hand the amount of bad games he's played, his pace that he had at the time. He wasn't your typical centre-half of his day. Mm. You know, it was that big, hard Terry Butcher type. Mm. Des Walker had pace in abundance. He could read the game brilliantly. Um, good friend of mine, likes to keep his head down, likes to talk about football relentlessly, but he didn't like the the exposure that football give you, you know, so um, but fantastic player and I think in the 1990 World Cup he was arguably the best central defender at that World Cup after the World Cup, Juventus offered £5 million for him and that tells you everything, Forrest turned it down believe it or not, and yeah. £5 million in those days was a lot of money in yeah. 1990 yeah. Uh, and Terry Butcher my goodness there was a born leader as a man. Yeah. He literally, very, literally very, bled for the cause, didn't quite he? Quite right, yeah, yes. He did. I mean, incredible. Great, just a great team player, a great driver of men around him, and a, a wonderful left foot he had. I mean, he used to put Lineker in. Lineker used to come short and spin long, and Terry, I mean, people think just a header of the ball, just this, just that. He was a cultured footballer as well. He, he could play a pass with his left foot superbly. Been to a few World Cups and a great character as well. Really strong character that was in it for himself. My first game, this tells you a lot about players and individuals. Terry was 
We played, my first game was against Brazil, 100,000 people at Wembley, and I'm papping myself, to be honest with you. <laughs> Terry, Terry come over to me uh, and said, just go and deal with your winger. Don't worry about my man. Just deal with him. And he's marking against a player who can outrun him. A lot of centre-halves, if you've not got a bit of toe, you want the full-backs to tuck in and right. help out. That weren't Terry. You go and do your job, I'll do mine. And I'll help you out doing yours. Fantastic, you know, and I thought... Brilliant. Brilliant. Um, Tony Adams, I've got a friend in the mix. In Euro 96, he captained the team. Wow, we. He was having injections in his knee before every game. Once again, like Big Butch, totally unselfish individual. He's captained Arsenal from the age of six. You know what I mean? <laughs> um, first team. <laughs> exactly that, yeah, as you would expect. What a character. In my first game for England, he was, he was just a young kid. I was... What was I, 25? He was about 21, uh, my first international. And he just had a personality, you know what I mean? And even when things didn't go well, he would never he would never go hiding in respect to, to anything he was doing and motivating others. And that is a real mark of an individual. You know, I've got so much time for him as a person. Mm. Well, well, that's the man that. he is now as well, isn't it? As well, Stu, it that's is. the great thing oh, about him. Exactly that. That reflects his football career is finished, but... He's out there helping others, and I've got so much time for him as an individual for that reason, let alone his football. Um, Gary Neville would be in in a back four for me. You know, he's been a sensational player over the years. I know he he sort of polarises opinion on occasion, but he's been an outstanding player, mm. you know, and, and it's been fantastic for England, plus his club as well, you know, and he's, he's in the main stuck with one club, probably similar... Almost like myself with Forrest and yeah. stuff like that. And yeah. he has a real pride for both his club and his country, which I respect. The mid I've got a midfield four. Okay. Now, the first one, this fella captained me, and I thought he was a demigod when I first got in the England setup, Brian Robson. Yeah. And when I speak at conferences now about what leadership means to me, I mean, not only... Could he run further, train harder, <laughs> score more goals, head the ball better and tackle anyone better on a football pitch? He cared more about me, I think, I got that impression, than ever he did about himself on a football pitch. And the team were were sort of more important to him. And he carried England on his back in the 80s, make yes. no mistake about that. When England's football was up and down, Brian Robson was unbelievable. And, and he would have to be in a midfield there's attributes there that he had, which which you don't often see in one player that often. A goal scorer, tackler, yeah. leader. I mean, to have that much, that's, that's a very rare thing, isn't it? It is. I mean, normally they say in football you need one thing to be world-class in your armoury. He's probably got three or four, yeah. to be honest with you. Yeah. Uh, and for long periods of time, for England especially... You would probably pl say Shields and Robson were the two actually world-class players that we actually had in our ranks. Yeah. Truly world-class, you know. But great, and and the character I like the characters a, a, about them as well. Yeah. You know, the the fact they're in it for the the team and not just themselves. And uh, maybe I see a little bit of that in myself. You mm. know what I mean? Mm. But I, a great trait to have. Uh, the other one, I didn't play with him long, probably two or three seasons, but what an impact the kid had, Roy Keane. Yeah. Come in at Nottingham Forest, didn't have a clue he was, you know what I mean? He played his first game at away at Liverpool, I was injured, didn't play the game. Someone told me Roy Keane, Keane played on the right-hand side of midfield. I said, well, where was Ray Houghton then? He went, no, he played for us. I said, I've never heard of him. <laughs> Honestly, he'd come in, he was there a couple of days, he's ended up playing, Cluffy put him straight in the team. All of a sudden, whatever position you played this boy in, he was the best player. He played centre half wow. for us on the right. He was brilliant. His centre and midfield, he was brilliant. And what a career he had. And what a leader as well. I mean, we're filling the team up here. with people. I was yeah, going to say, how many armbands have you got in this team? <laughs> <laughs> team one big one. I'm going to wrap them all up in it. But, I mean, Roy just went on to sensational things. Um, I'm going to save the, uh, the outsider for last. The other one in my midfield is the best player England have ever had in their ranks since Bobby Charlton, that's Paul Gascoigne. Yeah. Um, I've been fortunate enough to share the pitch at England level with him for the vast majority of his international caps and the vast majority of mine as well. He's played 58 times for England, been on the losing side on four occasions, wow. uh, if you ignore penalty shootouts. Now, that probably tells you everything. 
had the arrogance on a football pitch to want the ball against world-class players. And sometimes with the pressure of playing for England, that's not easy to do. This kid had that in abundance. He had personality, he had talent. Once again, could run, could head it, could tackle, could do everything. You name it, could score goals. He's always, uh, he's always in everybody's... Uh... Best 11 England team every single time they pick Paul Gascoigne. Like well, and and but the fact that you have him as high as I mean, that's that's the best player in 50 years, really. You talk about it's Joe, yeah. Well, you tell me who's beyond him, yeah. you know. Yeah. We've had some good players, you know, Rooney and Lampard and Gerard, and in comparison to Gaza, that had that impact in 1990, oh, you know. You know, we're an average team without Gaza, let's mm. be honest. You know, and he give us that sparkle. The two big tournaments, the um, 90 and 96, we got to a semi-final penalty shootout stage. Without Gaza, we'd have never got there. Mm. Make right. no mistake about that. He was that special. He was sensational, so, that World Cup. And yeah. everywhere he went yeah. as well. Isn't it yeah. great that that's, I think that's one of the great things that I cherish as a fan, is that every club he went to, they loved him as well, didn't mm. they? You know, it didn't really always, matter where well, he went. He just always wanted the ball. Yeah. Box to box, could beat the man. He was just, there's, like you said, there's not been an England player like him yeah. probably ever since, since Bobby Charlton. Yeah, get true. Yeah. Get it. Oh, he's so special. And once again, he transcends club yes. um, loyalties. He, he's just seen as a national treasure. Agreed. Think, yeah. you know? Agreed. So that's, that's how he is. The next one, which is off, off the radar a bit, but the impact this fella had was unbelievable. A fella called Ali Bernabia. Hmm. Uh, he was a French-Algerian. Uh, he come and joined me at Manchester City. Bear in mind, I was 39 years old, going on 40. My last year of my playing, uh, I was at Manchester City. Kevin Keegan run me up. I was about to retire from football. And Kevin Keegan run me up, just gone in as manager and said, would you come and join me as my captain uh, at Man City? Uh, it will be a roller coaster ride. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> they were his exact words. <laughs> yeah. So I went and joined him. We started the season particularly badly. We were in the championship at the time. We didn't start particularly well. And in September, this fella walked through the door, only small in stature, five foot eight, maybe five foot nine, fella called Ali Benabia. And my God, Manchester City fans all know what I'm talking about. He set us alight. He was hard on the pitch, could find a pass, could do anything you wanted on a football pitch. I mean, Sean Gota scored 36 goals that year. Huckabee got late 20s. Sean Wright Phillips was pitching in. And a lot of that was down to the supply line of passes from him. Yeah. And the last, let me tell you this story, the last day of the season, I was going to retire. I was just touching 40. We'd won the division by... 100-odd points, we'd scored over 100 goals. And Bernabia's influence on that team, the Man City fans know that were in the stadium that season, how good he was. He's revered at Man City. Not so much outside, but and he was late in his career. So we've ended up, um, last game of the season, we're playing Portsmouth at home. We've won the league three games ago. I'm on 99 career goals. I need one more for the tonne. So there's a lot of talk about it in the media. And just before we're about to go out on the pitch, Ali Bernabia comes up to me and went, Stu, you need one more for 100? I said, yeah. He said, no problem, I will get you it. I said, how are you going to do that? Leave it with me, Stu. No problem. <laughs> so the game's 4-1. We're winning 4-1 on the 82nd minute. Kevin's told me to go and play up front in an attempt to get, the, get a goal. Ali has picked the ball up just inside the box, he's running the box, he's put his foot on it, he's flicked it up at the defender's hand, it's hit his hand, <laughs> he's bent down and picked the ball up, and before the referees give a penalty, he's walking to the penalty spot, the referee's blown and said, penalty for a handball, he's put it on the spot, as he walks back, he winks at me, Dave Besson's in goal, who's a friend of mine from the England days, I said, Dave, I said, I need one more for a <laughs> Right? I'm not joking. We've got about told him. a couple of minutes to go. He looked, he come out. We've had a quick chat. He said, it's all right. I won't move. <laughs> so I've gone back. I've put the ball on the penalty spot. And as I'm walking back, I thought, and Best can save a penalty, by the way. He's yeah, one of the best yeah, there. That's true. He must saved the first one in the cup final. That's right, yeah. As I've walked back, I'm thinking, he's winding me up. Yes. You know, when you've got a seed of doubt in your mind, you yeah. think, is he winding me up? Will he move? Will he not? 
So I put the ball down, I've run up, I've side-footed it for safety into the corner. It's the first time I've ever missed the target in my whole career. Oh, no! <laughs> I've missed the target. Best did not move. He jumped up and down on the spot and just stood there and he burst out laughing and we just both walked towards each other and bent over double laughing. I thought to myself, that serves you right for cheating. You know what I mean? So I finished my, my career on 99 goals. An honourable 99 yeah. goals, Stu. Exactly. Go. At least they can look people in the eye. Uh, and we move on to my two strikers. Yeah. First one, Alan Shearer. Played with him for England, Newcastle. 260 goals yeah. in the Premier League or career goals, whatever it may be. No one's anywhere near that tally for Great playing player. for a team that have never yeah. won the league, by the way. I, uh, he's always sorry, the player, I think, Blackburn, Stu. he did. Yeah, I always yes. think he's the player. If I could pick somebody to be Welsh, <laughs> I'd, have, I'd yeah. have had Alan Shearer. I, yeah. just, I think he was a sensation of uh, centre-forward, like you said. He was. And once again, could head the ball in both boxes. Yeah. Tough as well. You couldn't rough him up. He'd fight his corner. Yeah. Could score with both feet and his head. Held the ball up brilliantly, evolved his game as time went on, you know, and, and his goal record. It, it just says it all, basically. Yeah, beat you know? that. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. And he, he's not massive number nine, was he, by by number nine standards of those days? Is he is, no. is not a six-footer, is he? No, no, he's, he's probably just under six foot, somewhere around that, but... But he Some played people, like a six foot three footballer, yeah, didn't he? Did, he? Exactly. Some people play; they 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 punch their their weight and beyond. And, and yeah. Alan was one of those. To be fair, he was sensational. Yeah. And and playing up alongside him, I'd have to say Lineker. I right. mean, yeah, Lineker's gone to to World Cups and got the Golden Boot. It was very rare that players got the opportunity to go and play on foreign shores, Spain, Italy. They only cherry pick the best. There's Walker and people, Platy and. And Lineker, and Lineker's impact at two main World Cups was absolutely sensational and could score a goal. Absolute, never liked training, to be fair. You never saw his quality in training, but he knew exactly where to go in the six-yard box for a little tap-in. He was incredible with it. Fox Proper nine ten as well. Yeah. Those there, I yeah. mean, which you know, when you've got when you've got that kind of partnership going with with a couple of strikers, it's a, it's a beautiful thing to watch. Is there? Yeah. I mean, I can you know, Cotty and McAvenny clearly the obvious ones I can think of at West Ham. But that that the old one two is a fantastic thing. We're going to ask you know here's here's the question: and who would manage that team? Which manager that you've played under would you pick to manage that team? Um, well, I, I've. Played under some brilliant ones, but I think the people's favourite's got to be Brian Clough. I had eight, <laughs> we had a feeling you'd say that. Yeah. <laughs> I had eight years with him, seven as his captain, and no two days were the same. It was incredible when you when you come in, some of the stunts that he pulled, some of the things that he'd done, some of the things that he said, the simplicity of, of what he'd done. You know, he, he shaped me not just as a footballer, but as a man as well, I think, you know, and he was... Brilliant, and obviously I was fortunate enough to, to play alongside Nigel's son as well in the team. So what a player Nigel was as well. Nigel friend. could play, couldn't he? Oh, incredible, incredible. Underrated, so. you know that one two you used to do with him, beautiful. Oh, I mean, it, the best season I ever had as, as a player was the season after the ninety World Cup. I, I wasn't the penalty taker at Forest, but I scored sixteen goals for <laughs> <laughs> a fullback. <laughs> Eleven of the sixteen were one twos with him. It was just ridiculous. Just put you in every it time, was telepathic, almost, yeah. wasn't it? it yeah, was, you know, it was. Uh, and he was brave enough to receive the ball when the likes of Boldy and Rodders were coming down, you know what I yeah. mean, with six of the best down the back of his leg, yeah. you know. So, yeah, fantastic. But Cluffy, he, he was, he, we had a clamour. When I was a kid, I used to watch telly and he done, covered the England games, you know, mm. and used to hang on every word the fella said. And when I first walked into his office to sign for him, my goodness me, you were scared stiff of him. You were in awe of him. He was just a special, special man. Yeah, uh, there's a market does a fantastic clap impression, and he, he says, but he does it about you. He goes down, he says, to Clef, you say, Where's my captain? I need to see him. He's calling my captain. <laughs> yeah. And uh, captain, Alan, my captain. Alan yeah. Hill tells a, fa a fabulous story about how they signed you, how Clef sent uh, him down to, to Coventry and waited yeah. for you to come out to an autograph. <laughs> you said to yeah. stick your number on there, son, if you want to come I to the I think Nottingham it was Forest. on the way to the game, actually. I was, was walking it? up. We were playing Liverpool at home. <laughs> I was walking to the stadium uh, up at Coventry's old ground. Highfield Road. Uh, yeah. This fellow's come up to me and said, uh, "Do you want to sign for Nottingham Forest, son? You know." <laughs> and I went, uh, "Yeah." <laughs> and he went, that all sounds above board, doesn't it? I know. Yeah, as you do in the street. 
you know, hour and a quarter before a game. And he said, well, give us your number and we'll give you a ring. I'm from Nottingham Forest. So I've given me a number. I mean, I, I could have been being groomed. I, you know, when you look back now, when you look back now, it could have been anybody. On the Monday, because there was no mobiles in those days, on the Monday, uh, the phone rung. It was Alan Hill. He went, I've got Brian here, Brian Clough on the line. He wants to speak with you. And I picked the phone up and, and my heart's going 10 to the dozen, bear in mind, you know. I've only been a professional um, at Coventry for maybe a year and a half. My contract was due to finish in a couple of month, in a month or so at the end of the season. Coventry hadn't said anything to me about a new contract. And he just come on the line and went, do you want to play for Nottingham Forest, <laughs> and, and I went, yeah, I won't mind. And he went, and the, he slammed the phone down. I thought, I didn't know whether I'd failed the interview or passed it. And then the next thing, we had a double sign in myself. I was sort of the make weight financially, 200 grand. And off I went to Forest. And little did I know it was going to be for 12 years. Fantastic. Fantastic stuff. Just a brilliant, brilliant story. By the way, I, I, before, you know, when we when we finally finish here and say thanks to you, we've obviously got ring Tony Adams up and say he's playing at left back for you until you are, you're available. <laughs> well, I will 11, say this, Stuart. You're always in the England teams for every left exactly. back. You'll be yeah. pleased to know when they, you've had people on. So, yeah. Listen, I, I, my ego doesn't suggest I pick myself. You know I mean? I, especially uh, how I feel. I'd rather have a tea and scone in the stand now and watch them I'll ever get on with it. <laughs> Stuart, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank yeah, you so much for your time and for joining us. Thank Cheers, you, mate. gents. It's been fantastic. Really enjoyed it. The Best 11 Podcast with Johnny Owen and Mark Webster. Thank you for listening to the Best 11 podcast. Don't forget there are new episodes out every Monday and Thursday. So join us for more football memories and another Best 11 very soon. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.